Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about Formula One over NASCAR. We're going to be talking about how these young drivers in the Cup Series need to start standing up for themselves. Our race weekend ranking sponsored by Johnny B's Barbershop and our verse of the week. So let's just jump straight into it and start talking about it. And as everyone knows, the Miami Grand Prix, it was this weekend. I couldn't go, even though I live half an hour away, because tickets, I'm sorry, I'm not paying $2,000 for a ticket. I'm just going to go on a little bit of a tangent before I begin this. A ticket, on average, costs about $2,000, again, it's a Miami Grand Prix. If I were to have bought that $2,000 ticket, I would have spent less money on my trip to Bristol. And I drove 10 hours there, so take into account gas, food... The $200 I spent on diecast, all the other amenities I bought, everything, I still would have spent less money than on that one Miami ticket driving half an hour away from my house. But I digress. One thing I noticed is that the Miami Grand Prix, I felt, had more hype for this specific race than any NASCAR race that was down to Homestead Miami Speedway. And if you want to say, oh, it's because it was in Miami and Homestead isn't really in Miami, guys, neither was neither was Miami Grand Prix. Look, there's Miami, Miami, which is South Beach, South Miami, where the Triple Eight, well, I guess it's now FTX Stadium, it used to be Triple A Stadium, where the Miami Heat play. That is Miami. Where Hard Rock Stadium is, is Miami Gardens, which is probably about another half hour away from truly where Miami is. It's not really Miami. You don't get a Miami vibe from Hard Rock Stadium. You get more of a Davie to Fort Lauderdale to a Pembroke Pines vibe when you're in Miami Gardens. So neither race were really in Miami, so we can't really say that's an excuse. So here's a question. Because Formula 1 had so much hype out of this race, and NASCAR doesn't really get any hype nowadays from any of their homestead races, does Formula 1 have a higher presence than America, than NASCAR already? Because I've seen more people talk about Formula 1, not just for this weekend, but I've seen them more talk about Formula 1 more than talk about NASCAR, really for the past few years. I remember last year when I went to go watch a UFC fight with my friends at Buffalo Wild Wings. And some kids behind us, they were talking about Drive to Survive. They were talking about Formula One. It's getting people talking. I mean, unless you see someone wear a NASCAR shirt or a NASCAR hat, and that's rarely nowadays, and even then, some of them are just like, oh, a friend gave me this. I was like, okay, free shirt or free hat, or the hat look cool. A lot of them talk about NASCAR. And even then, those are diehards. These kids that I was just mentioning, those are casuals. You're having casuals talk about your sport. You don't have a lot of casuals talking about NASCAR nowadays. So, why is that? Why does it seem like Formula 1 has more of a presence than NASCAR does? Now, full disclosure, NASCAR is still by far and away the biggest motorsport in America. Way over Formula 1, way over IndyCar. That's not disputable. But, you got more people talking about Formula 1 than talking about NASCAR. That should tell you something. And why is that? And it's the same thing that I beat that the, it's the dead horse that I beat over and over and over and over again. When I'm talking about NASCAR and I'm talking about IndyCar. If you guys have listened to the show long enough, it's because of the marketing. F1 does well in marketing what NASCAR does not. Even though NASCAR's trying to improve 
their marketing in the recent years, and they definitely have, it still doesn't compare to the marketing that Formula One has. Let me just put into this perspective. So, what do younger fans want when we're talking about racing? We're talking about the 2022 young NASCAR fan. I know it's an 18, I believe 49 demographic, but let's be honest. Let's go for 18 to 30. Let's go for that really young prime fan base. What do they want? They want shorter races because they want to do other things. They don't want to spend half of their day watching a race. And they want behind-the-scenes content. That's what they want. That's what F1 has. Their races are continuously under two hours. And they do have the behind-the-scenes content, along with other things, which we'll get into later. But it's the complete opposite of NASCAR. And now let's dive into more on the comparing and the contrasting of Formula 1 and NASCAR's marketing. Because, yes, the race distance is a marketing perspective. If you can sell someone on their race distance, like, let's be honest, which race are you most likely to watch? Let's not take into consideration whether it's Formula 1 or NASCAR. It can be bikes, it can be go-karts, it can be running. Just a pure race. Let's say it's two hot, let's say it's 40 Honda Civics just racing around a road course. Let's say it's racing down Palm Beach because we're keeping the Miami theme. Would you watch that race if it was around two hours long or around four hours long? Chances are most of you are going to say they're going to watch it for two hours long. Now, granted, if you're coming from maybe Texas or South Carolina, you're probably going to want to watch a four-hour race, so at least you feel like you have your bang work for your buck, which I feel like NASCAR does can justify in that sense for why the races are so long. They don't. I don't understand why they don't, but it's a good way to justify it in my opinion. But let's go back into it. Formula One, what do they have? Short races, consistently under two hours long. They got powerful stars. I mean, everyone knows who Max Verstappen is. Everyone knows who Lewis Hamilton is. Everyone knows who Lando, Charles, even Carlos Sainz. Everyone knows their names. And they do have engaging outside content. Look at their off-the-grid podcast on YouTube. Drive to Survive is another example. They have what the young demographic wants. You look on the NASCAR side of things, what does NASCAR have? Drawn out, long races, consistently over three and a half, four hours long. Which again, if NASCAR were to come out and say one of the reasons they want to keep their races like this is so they could give the fans that have come from hundreds of miles away to feel like they got more bang for their buck, they've traveled the distance, it's worth it. Then you can at least be like, okay, it makes sense. They're doing it for the fans at home. They're not the fans, the fans at the track. They don't do that, so they really have nothing going for them. But the races are consistently... Three, three and a half plus hours long. Their personalities, besides Kyle Busch when he throws a temper tantrum, besides Kevin Harvick when he's going crazy, besides Chase Elliott, it's, you know, some other names, besides four, five, maybe seven names, their personalities are boring. And they have no outside content. I mean, what does NASCAR produce outside content of in the last couple of years? They had that Bubble Walls documentary, which is a good start, I think they do or they're going to have a documentary on the playoff drivers. Again, great start. But other than that, what else? You got the crew, which I thought it was funny. You know, I mean, I'm, I mean, my humor is stupid, so I can handle that kind of humor. If it's stupid humor, I'll handle it. But, and one of the actresses in there I'm a fan of. But anyway, no outside content. 
So how does NASCAR expect to keep up with F1 of the long game unless they don't adapt? And if the TV ratings, like, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of tweets out there, and I agree with these tweets, that every motorsport should try to benefit each other. F1 should try to benefit NASCAR, vice versa, IndyCar should try to benefit F1, etc., etc. We all want motorsports to do well, and I agree with that. However, America is NASCAR territory. If Formula 1's ratings are within 1 million of NASCARs, then NASCAR will need to adapt fast. And hopefully that will be an eye-awakener that they need to change something. And fast. Because that would be like if NASCAR were to go race at Silverstone and their ratings were basically within a million of Formula 1's. Don't you think that would be an eye-opener for Formula 1 thinking, huh, let's see what they're doing so well and we can build on it. I'm not saying NASCAR needs to be scared of Formula 1, but they need to take, a, take what Formula 1 is doing so well and adapt, learn from it. And a couple years ago, we knew there was a rumor that Comcast could buy NASCAR. Looking back, I know hindsight is 2020, but looking back on it, that probably would have been for the best. Because Comcast, media brand, they would know how to market the sport, how to adapt the sport for the future, more so than a family that's really just been in the... That's, been in the sport for many many years it doesn't seem like they really want to adapt that much so the way i see it is i'm not going to go into what nascar needs to do specifically say they need to do this they need to do that they need to do this they need to do that i'm pretty sure i've done that in an episode in the past i just can't think of it and even if i haven't there's hundreds and hundreds of videos that have explained what nascar needs to do most of them probably just say just copy formula one hell i probably would say the same thing but the Miami Grand Prix felt like a reality opener in the sense of the hype, the buildup, the anticipation. Yeah, I know it was the inaugural race, but NASCAR had the championship weekend here for so many years, and none of them got the same hype as the Miami Grand Prix. So F1 is doing what NASCAR needs to do. If NASCAR can finally just learn to adapt and take inspiration for Formula One, I mean, they, they'll be in good shape, especially because they already own the United States. If they don't adapt soon, they'll quickly get overtaken by Formula One. Alright, so let's move on by talking about young drivers. And so I was talking to my friends about Joey Logano versus William Byron, the end of the Darlington race. And we were, you know, so one of my friends in the group chat, Tyler, he's a William Byron fan. So as you can as you can guess, he was not happy about Joey Logano wrecking William Byron. And yes, he wrecked them, he punted him, he basically put in no effort to try to pass him whatsoever. It was a dump and run. So, one thing we were arguing is, well not really arguing, just talking about was, will William Byron end up paying Joey Logano back? No. I don't think so. My buddy Will, he didn't think so. Most of us kind of came to the same consensus that William Byron is not going to pay Joey Logano back. And one of the main reasons that is, is because these new drivers, these new young guys, they don't retaliate. If something happens to them, they kind of just scoff it off. They might call the guy a moron, or they might curse at the guy, you know, in the in-car, maybe on TV. But that's about it. They don't really go up to the guy. They don't get into his face. They don't try to throw hands. They just, they're like, oh yeah, I'm pissed. And then the next race, they act like it never happened. But, I mean, look at Tyler Reddick versus Chase Briscoe, for example. Yes, I know, Briscoe admittedly made a mistake, but Tyler Reddick going up to Briscoe, he was happy. Why are you happy? 
like, I'm getting a little bit excited, but, like, I was watching Eric Eusef's video on Bristol Dirt, and I well, saw the finish, so obviously I know what happened. But if you're going for your first cup win, the millions of dollars that comes with it, the marketing, locked it to the playoffs, locked it to the all-star race, that's just a few things that come with that win. You get it taken away from you. And you're happy about it? What? And Justin Haley versus Kyle Larson at the LA Coliseum. Larson, he didn't have to wreck Justin Haley. He shouldn't have wrecked Justin Haley. It was his teammate who pushed him. And Justin Haley, what did he do? He got pissed off and he didn't really do anything to Larson after that. I know it was an exhibition race, but still, he didn't do anything. The only young drivers to really do anything are Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman. And to go more specific on Chase Elliott, his retaliation is the strangest form of retaliation I think I've ever seen from any driver. Because when he retaliates, it's like, most of the time, he's not even really retaliating. It's like the other drivers do it to themselves. It's like Chase Elliott literally turns on an Intimidator button, and that's what happens. Let me dive more into this. In 2017, versus Denny Hamlin at Martinsville, Denny Hamlin wrecked Chase Elliott. And Chase Elliott, come Phoenix time, Denny Hamlin, I believe, is leading or is in the top five with Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott runs Denny Hamlin wide. Hamlin goes into the wall. Chase Elliott never touched Denny Hamlin. And then Denny Hamlin, he cuts a tire, and he's out of the race, out of the championship, out of the round of eight. Chase Elliott really didn't do that much. And it was enough to get Denny Hamlin knocked out. 2021, Chase Elliott versus Kevin Harvick. Harvick runs Chase Elliott into the wall, makes Chase Elliott cut a tire. Then Chase Elliott blocks Kevin Harvick, allows Larson to win the race. They're not happy with each other. Then come Roval time, Harvick blatantly dumps Chase Elliott, like, no questions asked. And then, when Chase Elliott's about to come back on Harvick, Harvick just forgets what brakes are, forgets what steering is, and then he just goes straight to the wall and knocks himself out of the round of 12. Again, Chase Elliott didn't really do anything. He didn't touch Harvick. He just intimidated him. I just find that fascinating. Chase Elliott is the strangest way of retaliating drivers. But... To dive more into it, drivers like Tony Stewart, Jeff Gordon, Kevin Harvick, like I just mentioned, they're not going to let you get away with this. I just mentioned Kevin Harvick. Look what he did to Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott took a win away from him, and now we've seen that that probably would have been his only win in the last two years. And what did Kevin Harvick do? He just straight up dumped Chase Elliott the next race. Or the next two races, I might add. Jeff Gordon. If you did that to Jeff Gordon, he would have thrown hands. Tony Stewart, he would have thrown hands. Hell, Tony Stewart has thrown hands with Joey Logano in the past. So, these young drivers, they don't do that. They kind of allow themselves to be pushed around, bodied around. And why is that? In my opinion, it's because I think they're scared of corporate backlash. Like, think about it. The modern-day NASCAR is so heavily reliant on corporate sponsors, just sponsorship in general, that basically anything you do wrong... They can, they're afraid to get, they are afraid their sponsors will pull out. Look at 2017 with Daniel Suarez. Suarez was sponsored by Subway, and Suarez ate some Dunkin' Donuts on TV. And Subway pulled their sponsorship completely. Not just from Suarez, but from Joe Gibbs Racing as a whole. I think it was from NASCAR as a whole also until they sponsored Kevin Harvick last year. But I could be wrong. But again, these young drivers are so scared because sponsorship is so scarce nowadays that they're afraid to do anything. So if they get rubbed up, they're just like, okay, I want to retaliate. Maybe they want to retaliate, 
but they're so scared that their sponsors are going to react in a negative light that they don't. But how do you fix that? You establish yourself as a top driver. Fixing, that's what fixes it. Joey Logano, he's a top driver. So he could be that aggressive. He could do what he wants. But because they know that he's a top driver, they know that he's always going to compete for wins, give their sponsors exposure, the sponsors don't care. Kyle Busch, he's probably the most radical in terms of personality in the Cup Series. Not just today, but probably of all time. But sponsors know he's probably the most talented driver in the Cup Series, so they're fine with it because they know he's going to win for them. Same thing with Kevin Harvick. Hell, Chase Elliott. He'll retaliate. He'll get up in your face. But number one, he's the sport's most popular driver. But number two, he is an established driver. He's a champion. So sponsors, they know, okay, yeah, we might get a little bit of slight controversy, but if he's going to keep winning from us, it's not going to matter. I mean, look at every sponsor that's sponsoring Kyle Larson. Look what happened to Larson in 2020. And, but they know that he's such a great driver that they're willing to risk the controversy because they know they're going to get more exposure regardless. So, another thing is, clean racing is gone in the 2022 NASCAR. Gone are the days of Mark Martin. Truex is really the only driver nowadays that is like a gentleman driver. Besides Truex, those drivers don't exist. The sport is dominated by your Ross Chastains, your Chase Elliott's, your Ty Gibbs. Drivers who are aggressive and are willing to punt you out of the way. Maybe not so Chase Elliott, but you understand what I'm saying. You need to be aggressive. You need to stand your ground if you want to succeed in this modern-day NASCAR. If you don't, then you're just going to get pushed around and you're going to be an afterthought. Now, William Byron is having a semi-breakout year. I call it a semi-breakout year because, yeah, he has two wins. He's second in points. But, again, to go a little bit off-topic, how does Byron, how Byron second in points with only four top tens? It's a little bit off topic, but there's drivers like Chastain with seven top fives, seven top tens, Kyle Busch with eight, and they're behind Byron, who has four top tens. Stage racing presents itself for some of the most weird stats in terms of top tens and top fives. Some people might get pissed off about that because Byron should probably be like sixth or seventh in points right now, but I just find that hilarious. I just find that funny, but... Going back on topic, you need to stand your ground in the modern-day NASCAR. You need to establish that you won't be pushed around, that if you, do something to, if you do something to me, you're going to retaliate, and that's going to be the end of it. So Byron doesn't retaliate. I think he's just going to fall into the same trap that Joey Logano did in the past, that Truex sometimes does today, where if push comes to shove, you're going to get moved out the way. And because they know that you're not going to do anything about it, that's on you. Because I know sponsorship is scarce. I know that some of these young drivers might be scared of corporate backlash. But if you establish yourself as a top driver, if you stand up, stand your ground, then you will gain that respect in the garage. If you don't, you're just going to keep getting pushed around like William Byron got pushed around on the with two to go at Darlington by Joey Logano. And now it's that time of the episode, folks. Our race weekend ranking sponsored by John and B's Barbershop. So if you live in the South Florida area and are in desperate need of a haircut and or shave, head over to John and B's Barbershop. Rob, Johnny, Will, and the rest of the crew will not only give you a fantastic haircut, but a friendly atmosphere that you do not receive at other big chain barbershops. 
Located on Sterling Road and on Davy Road Extension, head over to Johnny B's Barbershop across the street from the Wawa for your next haircut today. So, we got four races to rank today, and I'm going to just put the disclaimer out there. I'm going to be a little bit biased in this. I mean, these whole rankings are biased, obviously, but you guys know my format. It's mostly from, you know, which has the best highlights, maybe the, you know, in case I can't catch some of the races. But for this week, for obvious reasons, I'm going to be a little bit more biased. Let's just say there's going to be a race placed on a list that probably shouldn't be this high, but I'm going to do it anyway. So with that being said, there's a little bit of shuffling. Um, we got the Cup race at Darlington, the Xfinity race at Darlington, the Truck race at Darlington, and obviously Formula One in Miami. So number four on the list, I originally had number three on the list, but then I swapped four and number three, and I'm actually going to give this race a lower score than I originally was going to because looking back at the highlights, I kind of realized... Why did I give this race such a high score? Really nothing happened in terms of highlights. So number four in the list, I'm going to give it to the Xfinity Series race at Darlington. The best moment for me was, with around six laps to go, was, and I quote, this is the way I described it, the Earnhardt throwbacks versus A.J. Allmendinger. You had, I believe it was the number 15, and you had Justin Allgaier, both Dale Earnhardt throwbacks, racing A.J. Allmendinger, all on new tires, Allmendinger trying to hold on, you know, that anticipation, that pouncing. Are they going to get to him in time? How are they going to pass him in such a tough track like Darlington? It's that anticipation that makes it the best moment of the race for me. With the worst moment for me coming from the fourth caution of the race where the 31 of Myatt Snyder crashed, hard hit into the wall, ended his day. You never want to see a driver get a wreck like that. But other than that, not much happened during the race. I originally gave it a 7.5 out of 10, and then I looked back on it, and I'm like, Nothing really happened besides those two moments. I had some good racing, but nothing, you know, nothing popped to give it that extra boost. So I'm going to move it from a 7.5 out of 10 to a 6.5 out of 10. Number three on the list is what was originally going to be number four on the list. It's the Truck Series race at Darlington. Best moment for me was Todd Bodine. He spun out about midway through the race, and he came back to finish inside the top 10. First top 10 in 10 years. The Onion still got it, folks. That's all I'm going to say. Worst moment for me, probably the big one that involved the one truck, the 15, the 22, and I believe it was another truck. Took out a lot of trucks, ended their nights. Again, you never want to see a big crash, especially at a track like Darlington. And this race does have a WTF moment for me, which is the end of the race when John Hunter Nemechek won the beer can throw. Some fan threw a full can of probably beer at John Hunter Nemechek. Don't do that. He's probably going to get banned. He probably sealed his fate in terms of ever going to a NASCAR or a Darlington race ever again. But again, no one saw that coming. That's my WTF moment of the race. And other than that, he had a lot of good battles, a lot of moments, a lot of excitement. So this race, I'm going to give a 7 out of 10, maybe even a 7.5 out of 10. I guess it depends on what my mood is. Number two on the list. And again, this race probably shouldn't be as high as it is on the list, but I'm going to do it anyway. The Miami Grand Prix. Yes, it's biased. Yes, probably a homer because of how close the track was to me, even though I couldn't go because, again, I'm not wasting two grand on a ticket. But the Miami Grand Prix comes at number two on my list, with the best moment being Max Verstappen versus Charles Leclerc on lap nine of the race. Again, Verstappen versus Leclerc is going to be the name of the game all season long. Fantastic battle from those two, even though it led to the worst moment of the race, or I guess prolate prolonging of the race, which is Verstappen was really untouched for the rest of the race. No one had anything for him. Again, lap nine set up for potentially a good battle that led to just a drawn out race. 
My WTF moment of the race, yes, it does have a WTF moment of the race, is Lando Norris's crash on lap 41. And the main reason is because a tire came off. Or I think two tires came off. I don't remember 100% for sure. But anytime a tire comes off, you're kind of just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like last year, like last week at Dover where Denny Hamlin was racing his tire. Like you don't see that coming. So for Lando Norris to have his tire come off, that's my WTF moment. But again, I'm going to give this a very inflated 8 out of 10. Again, it probably is a 5 out of 10 at best, but having the Miami Grand Prix so close, the anticipation, the hype it brought to the area. Again, I have people who didn't even know what Formula 1 is talking about the race, so that's incredible. But the number one, I can't put a number one because I'd be a madman. Number one on my list is the Cup Series race at Darlington. And kind of like with the Miami Grand Prix, the best moment of the race is going to lead to the worst moment of the race. Best moment for me is Joey Logano running down William Byron. Again, that anticipation, that buildup, that anxiety. Joey running down William Byron. Is he going to pass him coming to the white flag? Can William Byron hold on? Is, is, are we going to get a side-by-side -side finish similar to we got in the past? Which led to the worst moment of the race, which was Joey Logano basically just punting William Byron, saying, yep, no, I'm not even going to try to pass you cleanly. I'm just going to hit you into the wall and go about winning the race. Joey Logano, he said it was because William Byron didn't put him in the wall with, I believe it was like 25 to go on the restart. Logano lost maybe six tenths at best, and he made up for it at the end. That wasn't warranted making that punt, in my opinion. And there really was no WTF moment of the race. You probably could say Joey Logano punting Byron was your WTF moment of the race, but I put that as my worst moment, and I'm not going to mix the two together, so there really is none. But the race as a whole was fantastic. You had comers and goers. You had a lot of strategy in place. Obviously, tires played a big factor. You see, you saw drivers really struggling to handle the cars of the track like Darlington. I mean, Chastain spun, Truex spun, even Larson spun. So all that being said, I'm giving this race a 9 out of 10. And that's your race weekend ranking sponsored by John and B's Barbershop. All right, time for our final segment, and that is going to be our verse of the week. So, it's time to open up the scriptures, try, time to open the motorsport ministry, allow the congregation to get in and read the scriptures of, we need to come up with a name for, I guess, the quote-unquote scriptures or Bible of this show. Hopefully next week I'll have a name for that. But, here it is, from the book of Red Bull, chapter 1, verse 23 our verse of the week is TikTok Grand Prix. Now, what do I mean by TikTok Grand Prix? So, from a lot of people that I saw that were at the race, and even one of my friends who went to the Miami Grand Prix, he they all said that it felt like this race was kind of like a clout show, where basically everyone were there. Yeah, they were newbies, but it felt like they were there just to, you know, gain clout or gain social media exposure. Because like, hey, I'm at the Miami Grand Prix. Look at all these celebrities. Look at all these nice cars. It didn't feel like people were there for the racing or the spectacle. It felt like people were there just for, you know, the clout exposure. So that's why my verse of the week is TikTok Grand Prix. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Motorsport Ministry. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you guys want to listen to the rest of the catalog of the Motorsport Ministry, just search us up on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. You can find all previous episodes. But thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.